All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome to H2O. It is great to have you here. As Matthew said, uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'd love to uh, get to know you after the service. Come up and say hi. If you're new or visiting, checking out H2O, it's great to, to have you here with us today. And if you've been with us, you know that we are in this series where we are taking a verse-by-verse look at the book of Philippians. And, and it's been a, a super fun series. This is our third week. And so as we look at this book we're titling the series Invincible Joy because Paul, the author of the book of Philippians, continually resurfaces this theme of joy. And it's actually a pretty amazing reality because as he's writing this letter, which that's what the book of Philippians is, it's actually a letter to a church that Paul is writing and sending to them. As he's writing this letter, Paul, who once hated Christianity, if you remember his story, he was born by the name of Saul. He was a very religious guy. He actually persecuted Christianity. And and oftentimes would, would try to kill Christians, found himself having this encounter and this experience with God. And so all of a sudden, now he went from somebody who hated Jesus to somebody who loved Jesus and committed his life to advancing the gospel and advancing the church. Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he finds himself in a Roman jail. He's jailed for doing the thing that he wants jailed people for doing. He's jailed for sharing about Jesus and telling people about the love and the hope of Christ. And yet, uh, it's important that we will probably talk about this every week because isn't it amazing to think that this guy who's wrongfully imprisoned, who's sitting in a Roman prison, is talking with so much joy. So much hope, so much excitement, so much peace. And so as we look at this letter, it's astounding to realize that our world, so oftentimes we want that, don't we? We want happiness. We want joy. Oftentimes the things that we do ourselves are are seeking after that elusive joy. And yet Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, I've found the secret to it. I've found the secret to, to having joy in every situation. I've found the secret to it. And so I think his words are very timely to us as we open up the book of Philippians. And today we're going to be uh, wrapping up chapter one. We're in our third week and we'll close out chapter one. But Paul uh, turns his attention to talking about the importance of the way that we live our lives. In fact, that's a big idea today. The big idea is this, that how we live actually matters. The way that we live our lives, it really matters and it affects the way that people see not only us, but it affects the way that people see the gospel. And so Paul is going to point us to that truth and that reality. And and we're going to start off with kind of picking up where we left off last week, where Paul is wrestling with this idea of whether he's going to live or die. It's a a pretty real reality to him because he's sitting again in a a jail, in a prison in Rome, and he's figuring out, am I going to face death? Am I going to go be with Jesus? Or am I going to go on living? And so we get almost this picture of this internal dialogue that that he's having. And so I want to open up to Philippians chapter 1 right there and jump in to the text because there's a lot of great things that I want to cover together today. So you can open up your Bibles, read along with me if you want. Philippians chapter 1, it'll be on our screen behind us as well. Uh, This is the phrase that we ended with last week. We'll start with this week so that we tie everything together. It's these famous words of Paul. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he starts kind of rationing that statement out a little bit. In verse 22, he says, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart 
I basically desire to be dead. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, Paul, Paul starts off and he's laying this framework of, of the importance of the way that we live and, and he's having this internal struggle. And essentially what Paul is saying here is something that I think is really important for each and every one of us to think about. It's a pretty profound statement, actually. What Paul is saying is this. If you want to know how to live your life, then find out what you are willing to die for. And death isn't something that we like to talk about a lot or something that we like to think about a lot, but it's a reality of life, isn't it? Death is something that we all probably should at least consider because it's coming for all of us. So Paul says, find out what you are willing to actually go and die for and then figure out how to live for that very thing. Paul says, that's what I've done. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you find out what you're willing to die for and you live your life for that, then to live or to die, either way, you find yourself in a win-win scenario because living life for that very thing gives you power and joy and this inexpressible ability to live life and face the circumstances that come into your life no matter what because you're living for the thing that you're willing to die for as well. You see, Paul says this is how you can face circumstances in life that may seem hard. This is how you can have joy in the midst of trials and suffering. When you know what you're willing to die for and then you live for it, you find yourself in this amazing reality. And, and I would contend here today that for each and every one of us that the words of Paul should be resonating with us as well. Now, if we, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then the only thing worth really dying for would be Jesus because he created this whole thing in the first place. He's the only thing that will be eternal. He's the only thing that's going to last. And so if we're willing to follow him, then we can find ourselves in a place where we can say, yeah, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because that's the eternal reality of walking in the gospel. So Paul says, if you want to walk in freedom in life or death, Know what you're willing to die for and then live for it. And so then he jumps in and he starts to expand on what it actually looks like to live Christ. Okay, so, so he's wrestling with this idea, am I going to live or am I going to die? But then we can jump back in in verse 25. He says this, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain. Okay, so I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm going to live or die. He finally kind of wrestles it down and gets to this point. Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to Remain. I'm probably going to live. I will continue with all of you for your progress and the joy, there's that word again, the joy and the faith, so that through me being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on my account. Then verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of of the gospel. And I want to stop right there. Because I'm going to pull out these four different things about what it looks like to live Christ. And the first one is this. That living Christ means laboring for others. Living Christ means laboring for others. See, Paul says, whatever happens to me, whether I live or whether I die. He's writing this letter to this church that he has a special place in his heart. He says, whatever happens to me, I don't know. But I want you to do this thing. No matter what. Live your life in a, a manner that's worthy of the gospel. The way that you live matters. 
And so if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say that you're, you're following Jesus, then there's a, a certain set of expectations that comes with being a follower of Christ. And the way that you live actually makes a difference. You know, I was thinking about this even within my family, you know. And, and for those of us who have kids, for those of us who, who are a part of families that, that spend time together, within each family there's a certain set of expectations about how you live, isn't there? And so even in, in my house with our kids, we're always trying to train our kids to, to to grow and to mature into the people that we think that God wants them to be. And so we say things like, hey, the wiles is we, we love God in our house. And so if you're a wiles, that's our last name, right? If you're a wiles, there's this expectation that we're trying to love and serve God. We say things in our house like, hey, wiles is do hard things. And so if our kids are like, that's a good family value to have, by the way, because if your kids complain about something, you can just say, hey, that's part of being a wiles. We do hard things. Oh, I don't want to do my homework. Well, guess what? Wiles is do hard things, so you don't get off the hook that easily. We say things like, wiles is we, we work hard in our family. You know, we're not afraid of a little bit of hard work. We do a lot of sports right now as our family. And so we say to our kids, you may not be the best one out on the field. That's okay. You may not be the most skilled, but we want you to work hard. We want you to be one of the hardest workers out there because you're a wiles. That's what we do. See, there's, there's this certain expectation, this, this way of living that we're trying to impart into our kids. We say it, it's, it's core to who you are that you live this way. And Paul's saying the same thing for those of us who are followers of Christ. Whatever you do, conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. There is this implicit expectation of the importance of how we live. Why? Because the world around us is watching. The world around us is wondering, are, are these people who, who go to church and who say that they're following Jesus, do they actually want to follow the Lord or are they just dressing up and pretending that it's something that they do? The, the world doesn't really care whether we show up here for an hour on Sunday morning. What they actually care about is are these people truly committed to the message and the name that they're proclaiming? And as you think about just the, the only way that our world can be reached, uh, the, the only weapon that we have, or at least the best weapon that we have, as we seek to advance the kingdom of God, it's not so much a, a stirring sermon. It's not so much wise words of, of a certain pastor or, or powerful articles that we can write. But, but the most important weapon that we have as followers of Christ to advance the gospel is a consistent life. A consistent life that lines up with the message that Jesus proclaims. If we truly want to influence the world for him, we have to live our life in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we've received. You know, we, we say this around here at H2O sometimes, but I think it's a, a cool phrase and it's easy just to remember. In the Bible, there's four different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all teach us about Jesus. But we say oftentimes to the rest of the world, there's really five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then us, our life. You can insert your name right there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Brian. Because people who are outside the church oftentimes won't open up the first four gospels, will they? But they look to our lives and ask the question, are they legitimately seeking to follow God? I found this poem that I think echoes the words of Paul as he tells us to live a life that's worthy of the calling that we've received. It, it says this. It says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the deeds that you do and the words that you say, people read what you write, 
whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you? Think about the power of that phrase. If people never step foot inside a church, never open the pages of the Bible, but they know that you're a follower of Christ, then what would they say that Christianity is all about? What would they say the gospel actually is if they just could boil it down to the way that you live, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you share with them, the words that you speak? See, does your life point people towards Christ? For you, can you say, for me to to live is Christ. So are you living out the message that Jesus has given each and every one of us? That's what Paul says is so important for us to do. Let's jump back in to the passage here. Right after he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then he says this. He says, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. See, the second thing is this. Living Christ means striving in unity. Living Christ means striving in unity. See, as Paul is writing to this letter, this letter to this church in Philippi, this church that he loves, uh, there's some things that are going on in that church that, that maybe some of us can even relate to and other experiences that we've had. There was some conflict within that church. There was like dissension within that church. Specifically, we'll read about it in chapter 4. There are these two women that were fighting and people were starting to take sides. It wasn't that big of a church, and yet there was dissension. And so Paul is writing to this church in over and over again, about 16 different times throughout the, the letter of Philippians, Paul uses the word together. This, this Greek word that, that is like, you guys need to be unified. You guys need to be together as you advance the gospel. And, and, and the Greek word that he uses there, sinaleo, it, it, it literally means striving together as athletes or striving together as a team. And so Paul points the direction of his message that not just the way that we live when we're by ourselves, but the way that we treat one another, it truly affects the world around us. So if you want to live Christ then you need to be unified with other people who are following Jesus. He uses that picture of a team, and I think that's such a a great picture. It's one of the reasons why I love being around and involved with athletics, because whether you win, whether you lose, whether you tie, there's there's something that is pretty powerful about the tight-knit group of a team. And you know that team's working together when everybody's doing their job and moving forward, and there's not dissensions, but there's this this mentality that we're willing to do whatever it takes for one another. And I was thinking about that, that, that team mentality. And I was even thinking about my marriage. You know, I, I, my, my wife and I, we've been married for 16 years now. And believe it or not, I, I'm a pastor. She, she's in ministry. Every once in a while, we have conflicts in our marriage. I know. Some of you guys are like, wow, I can't believe that. You know, part of being married means there will be times where you have conflict, right? Um, but one of the phrases that we say to one another often when we're in an in a little bit of a conflict, a, a healthy discussion, we could call it, you know. Uh, one of the phrases that we'll say to one another when, when, we're, when we're just fighting for our marriage in, in a good way is say, hey, we're on the same team. I know that we don't see this exactly the same way right now. I know that that might have hurt you, but hey, and, and oftentimes Sarah's better at it than me, just, hey, we're on, the, we're on the same team. We're not fighting against each other. 
We're, we're fighting for each other. And so, so we got to remember, we're on the same team. And I was thinking about that phrase, and I was even thinking about ministry, you know. I've shared this before, but, but the, the churches here in Bowling Green, I'm so thankful for not just our church and the unity that exists within our church, but even other churches. And there's a group of us pastors who get together often, and we pray for one another, and we try to encourage one another and support one another because, listen, there are so many needs in this town and on that campus that, 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 that there's no place for any territorialism at all. And when we get together, oftentimes, I, I think just like accidentally it's just uh, it'll it'll come out hey you know what we're all on the same team we're all on the same team there's no point in fighting against each other there's no point in backstabbing we're all on the same team and and we'll try to encourage each other with that reality that listen we're striving together in unity and we are on the same team you know do you feel that way as you look at your life as you look at the, the people that you've surrounded yourself with, as you look at people who are helping to push you towards Jesus, there can be times where it's tempting. And there can be times where there's conflict, right? Anytime you're in a relationship with people, there will be conflict. But will you continually come back to the reality that we're unified? We are on the same team. See, to live Christ means to push through the conflict, to push through the opposition and say, listen, we are together. In John 13, 35, Jesus says these words. He says, uh, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So how will the world know that we're actually following Jesus? How will the world know that, that, that we are people that want to, to share the love of Christ with other people? Jesus doesn't say it's, it's by your theology. Jesus doesn't say it's by your amazing wisdom, although hopefully God gives us those things. But Jesus says that, that the world will know that you're my disciples. By the way that you love one another. By how unified you are. And that's so important to us in this church. That we continue to say we want to be for each other. We are on the same team. There is unity in the body of Christ. You see, living Christ means striving and unity. Let's jump back into Philippians. Because Paul moves on. And he says this. He's talking about the importance of, of living Christ. He's talking about the, the power uh, of being unified. And then he says this. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. You see, third is this. That living Christ means facing opposition. Living Christ means facing opposition. Have you ever noticed, if you've ever tried to take a step of faith for Christ, that there are times, oftentimes when you first make that decision, that you're going to make a bold move for Jesus, that, that something or somebody stands up and opposes you. And, and that can be hard, you know? And, and, and we, we don't like to make it a us versus them type thing around here at H2O because the world around us needs us to love them and support them. But we have to be honest as well as we open up the pages of Scripture to say that there will be times where people or systems or organizations will oppose us as we're trying to advance the kingdom of God. That just comes with the territory. And yet to live Christ means standing up in the face of that opposition. It means standing up in love 
It means standing up in a way that, that we can point people towards Jesus. It doesn't mean being brash or angry or causing fights for the sake of causing fights. But it, it also means saying that we're willing to stand firm for the things that we truly believe. Now think about your life. If you're somebody who's ever tried to, to share the love of Christ with people, you know that it can be scary, can't it? You know, maybe you, you want to go into your, your job and you have a certain person on your heart, or you have a certain situation that you want to try to bring the gospel into, and, and maybe you've, you've experienced this where you've done it before, and, and somebody will almost mock you a little bit, or ridicule you, or, or maybe even just be sarcastic, or maybe even just give you a look that you're not sure what, you, what they mean, and it's tempting in those moments just to back down and say, you know what, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that anyway, or oh man, I don't know if I can even push through that, or oh man, that was embarrassing, but Paul says, listen here, I want you to know that you don't need to be frightened. You don't need to be afraid because living Christ means that we can grab hold of the boldness that Jesus has given to each and every one of us and we can take a step of faith for him. It means that we can stand up in the face of opposition. Maybe there's somebody that you, if you're a student, that you go to school with that, that you wanted to share Christ with but they've, they've made fun of your faith. They've said that, that, that it can't be true or that there's, that there's no way that you can be an intellectual and actually follow Jesus. And so your question is always, what do I do? How do I walk through this face of opposition? Maybe there's even somebody in your family kind of puts you down a little bit for what you believe, for the way that you live, for the decisions that you made. And, and you're tempted to just kind of fade into the background and never bring it up again. Paul says, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Because when you take steps of faith, when you live Christ, there will be opposition. But God is with you as well. And there's joy in taking steps of faith for Jesus. Man, that is the power that comes from living out the gospel. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul ties the unity right before this to not being afraid right after this. Because when we take steps of faith together, when we stand up and face opposition together, man, it gives us so much more courage, doesn't it? And so what do you do when you face opposition? What do you do when somebody gives you pushback? Do you lovingly point them towards Christ? Or do you just fade away and never, ever go there again? Paul says you're going to face opposition, but in love, continue to advance the gospel. And he closes with this in verse 29. He says this. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. See, fourth and finally is this. Living Christ means suffering has a purpose. Living Christ means our suffering has a purpose. Paul, he, he, he uses this language of like a gift. It's been granted to you. And, and Paul says, hey, God's given you two very amazing gifts. And the first one, we're like, yeah, that sounds great because it's been granted you, to you on, on behalf of Christ to believe in him. It's like, oh, yeah, God's given me faith. God's given me the ability to believe. What an amazing gift. That's the first gift. And then he says he's also granted not only belief, but he's granted you the ability 
and the gift of suffering. Wow, thank you. I'm excited about it. Have you ever gotten a gift that you weren't too excited about? Have you ever given a gift that the people weren't that excited about? I remember my, my wife and I, I'm a terrible gift giver. Terrible. I, I, I can't overstate how bad of a gift giver I am. Um, I don't think about it until the last minute. I'm bad at it. It's caused some of those healthy discussions within our marriage at different times where we have to remind each other we're on the same team. And so a couple of Valentines ago, uh, a couple of Februarys ago, it was Valentine's Day, and I was doing the normal bad gift giver thing. It was February 13th, the day before. I wasn't sure what I was going to get Sarah. I wanted her to know that I love her, but I just could not figure out what to get her. And so I Last minute, I went out to, I think it was JCPenney's or, or one of those stores, and I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure out what to, and, and there's this um, kind of makeup department, and there's this older lady working behind the, uh, the desk, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, I'm at a loss, so I'll go ask for her advice, and so I go up and I start talking to her, and um, she's, I'm like, what do you have on sale, is there anything good that you think my wife would like, and uh, she's like, oh, I have this anti-aging, anti-wrinkle cream, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't know. And she's, um, do people, do women like that? She's like, yeah, it's great. Your wife is going to love it. You know, it's, it's on sale. And I'm like, okay, so she sells me on this anti-aging, anti-wrinkle cream. And so I, <laughs> every woman in the audience right now is just going, no, why weren't you there with me to help me? Ah, and so I, I wrap it up. I'm really excited to give it to her. I give her the anti-aging, anti-wrinkle cream on Valentine's Day. Such a romantic gift. And um, she opens it, and she's like, oh, thanks. I'm like, do you like it? She's like, um, yeah. And I'm, What's the matter with it? Um, no, it's great. And I can tell she's trying to have a good attitude, you know. And uh, I can tell that this isn't going over that well. And so I'm like, what's, tell me, really, what's wrong? She's like, it's anti-aging cream. It's like anti-wrinkle cream. <laughs> like that's, that's not what I want for Valentine's Day. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I guess that is kind of a dumb gift, isn't it? I'm really sorry. Okay, here's the point. I gave her this gift that was a terrible gift to give. And sometimes we almost treat God like that, right? The, the, the word says that God, he gives us this gift of faith. And yet he also gives us the gift of suffering. And some of us are like, I like the faith, but maybe the suffering's a little bit like the anti-wrinkle cream a little bit, you know? God, are you sure that that's truly a gift? I'm not sure if I actually want to receive that gift, God. I'm not sure that that's something that, that I can get very excited about. Paul says this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so as you live your life, everything that God gives you is a gift. Everything that God gives you is an opportunity to point people towards Christ. And God's gifts are always good, even when they don't feel good. God's gifts are always beautiful, even when they don't feel beautiful. And so the question for us is, can we take Paul at his word? The man who's sitting in a Roman prison preaching to us about joy, preaching to us about the goodness of God, preaching to us about the beauty of living and dying for Christ. Do you believe him at his word?
as you look at your life, can you say, there may be some really hard things going on. There may be some, some times and some situations that, that I'm having a hard time believing that this is a gift, but God, all of my life, it's a gift from you. And so God, give me the strength to live for you. Give me the strength to say, I'm willing to die for you, but not only am I willing to die for you, I'm willing to live for you. The way that we live, it matters. This idea that, that suffering is not ever God's will, it's not found in here. It's not found in here. Paul says suffering can be a gift. Suffering can be a gift in the way that we face it. If we allow it to draw us to Christ, if we allow it to draw us to one another, that's what the power of the gospel is all about. And so for each and every one of us, I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know if you find yourself in the, the season of the faith gift where you are just on top of life and God is moving and, and you don't see anything wrong in your world. Or I don't know if you find yourself experiencing that second gift right now, the gift of suffering. But I, I pray wherever you are that you would say, God, I not only want to be willing to die for you, I want to be willing to live for you. And the power of the gospel and the beauty of living Christ and the joy the inexpressible joy that comes from experiencing him. So our hope and our prayer is that we would be able to take Paul at his word, that we would think about the way that we live in every facet of our lives and that we would allow Christ to live through us. So let's invite the band up and let's pray. God, we thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, even as we think about the, the beauty of the gospel, Lord, we're reminded that there are times where we're called into hard seasons. Lord, would you help us to remember that even those seasons are gifts? How would you help us to know that your beauty and your joy are worth living for and are worth dying for? God, would you help us to just reflect on the way that we're living our lives? Because, God, we want our lives to matter. Uh, we want the way that we point people towards you to be real and authentic. So God, would you help us to, to look through our lives and, and ask, what type of picture are we painting of you to the world around us that doesn't know you? And God, even in the moments where we're suffering, would we point people towards you? Would we point ourselves towards you and would we point others towards you? God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and what you've done. And we lift up our, our time of worship to you. In your name we pray. Amen.